Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. And I tell you, this is going to be one of those shows that you do not want to miss. So whether you are driving or sitting under a shade tree enjoying this absolutely wonderful Memphis weather, we've got a program that's going to bring you up to date and give you some insight in this roller coaster market that we've had. My guest today, of course, Keith Quinn is here with me today as my co-host. We've got Rusty Leonard going to be with us, too, is the CEO of Stewardship Partners, a frequent guest of ours, and we are looking forward to getting some of his insight. But, Keith, let's start with the reality is, I mean, we have seen it go. It's like you were down at the Zippin' Pippin' years ago, <laughs> down at the, you know, in Memphis at the fairgrounds, and you take that ride up, and it's kind of slow, and then all of a sudden, zoom, it goes down. And that's really what the market's been doing. I tell you what, I think it's totally detached from reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's some reality to it's, it. Uh, <laughs> it it's, it's been a wild this, week. It's been a wild week. It uh, started with Monday morning. I mean, you think about Monday morning, we're talking in the office, got things going on, and we're watching things. And tell us a little bit about what you saw. Well, as, as soon as we opened on Monday, and we saw the futures were down, but boy, did it pick up speed. And within five minutes, we were down 1,000 points, dropped 1,089 points just like that, right I mean, off just the bat. Over, just, I mean, we're talking about a panic movement. I mean, it panic really selling. did look like panic selling. And, and you know, I wouldn't have thought that. I mean, Friday, obviously, was a down day. Thursday, you know, we moved a little bit, but the reality is I wouldn't have thought that that much momentum would have picked up over the weekend. Well, they were talking a lot about China, so China was down 8.5%, right. but that's not been unusual in the Chinese market nope. recently. They've had a lot of six-point swings, and, you know, the we always talk about headline risk, and one of the headlines I saw uh, Monday morning early was Black Monday in China. Well, Black Monday, you know, was referring to October 19th in 1987. So That's let's just refresh our memories. Exactly. Black, Black Monday, Monday, we were down 22% on yeah. the Dow. You know how many points that would be today? 4,000 points. So it was hardly Black Monday, but we just had that idea. And again, driven by that emotion. Can you imagine that today if we had that 4,000 point, point no, drop? No, no, no. You know, and again, I mean, it's possible. It could happen. But again, it's hard to put that correlation between what took place in China and what took place in 1987. With us. It really is. It's just a different magnitude. Makes uh, good headlines. It so, makes good headlines. And that's what we have to be careful with. Now, it, what, what was kind of unique about Monday is that it soared down at the opening of the bell and just, and as you said, panic selling. But something turned and just on a dime, and what happened? And panic buying. If you looked at it one minute, by the time I walked back to my desk, uh, you know, then we're only down about 600, and it came back uh, again. It was immediately followed by panic and buying. And it went all the way up to down only 150 points. Now, it settled for the day around 588. But 588. But, but yeah, at one point, is, only down about 100. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, but, uh, you know, so, so really we, we see an enormous amount of volatility, and that's, uh, that's kind of what we have to look at and have to think about today with reality is right. all of this move. And all the thought process going on. So we're going to walk through with Rusty right. and get his take on 
why the market's moving like it's doing. What do we anticipate is September and October, which are normally September's a little a little volatile month. You know, August is our worst month. I mean, everybody needs to understand. Really if you look at history, August on the you know as far as the twelve month year, August is normally the worst month of the year. And I saw a really interesting interview, and we watched some of the interviews with some of the guys who are good uh, analysts on the market and asking them what was going on, what was driving the drop. Uh, and they'd ask this guy, you know, what's driving the drop? And he said, dude, it's August. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not unusual. It's low volume. Yeah, it you is. know, they're still yeah. out on you know the summer break still going on, and so when there's something to get started, it's right. hard to turn it around, and that's uh, that's what low volume a lot of times will do. But now September can also be a little bit of a slow month. It can, and you know, typically when we have a correction that's that severe that quickly, we almost always overshoot to the downside. Yep. So I think we saw a little bit of that, and of course we saw the market turn around on Wednesday, and we've had a couple of good days since. A couple of good days. Uh, we'll find out if this is over, if the correction is now done, and we can tuck it away and say, hey, that was the correction of 2015. Well, I doubt it. We did hit correction territory. So a correction, you know, is a technical drop right. of 10%. So we hit that across the board on all the indices. Certainly it hit it in Europe. Uh, a lot of those have come back from being down 10%, so not down 10% across the board. But as you have been saying, you know, volatility is something we expected to tick up this fall. Uh, certainly we're seeing that, but it's nothing to be scared of as a long-term investor. Well, uh, that's the key. Volatility going down. Volatility is the same thing going up. So when you come, when we come back, you've got Rusty Leonard be with us. You've got, of course, Keith Quinn is with me today. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to KWAM, and it's Talk Money. We're going to talk about the market. We're going to talk about, really, what do we expect for the rest of the year? We've got the guy that knows it, and that's Rusty Leonard. He'll be with us right after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn. Our special guest today is Rusty Leonard, a very frequent guest of ours, does a great job for us. And we appreciate, Rusty, you being with us. Uh, uh, Welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure being with you guys. Well, we appreciate it. You know, Rusty, the the correction, everybody's talking about we've now had the all-time anticipated, you know, got-to-happen correction but, it, you know, here's the thought for you. It, I feel like it may not be over. I mean, you know, we've kind of gone through this little period. We've had some surges up. Uh, you know, you got all kinds of issues going forward. There's still some headwinds that we've got to do. Um, 
is the bull market going to continue, or do we see this moving to where we're going to go into a bear market? Well, I guess in terms of how we define these things, you know, technically in our business uh, as investment managers, we uh, we entered into a correction on the S and P 500 uh, in this past week, and uh, we've, in the last couple of days, we've kind of exited out of that. With that, what that means is the market fell over 10 percent from its previous high, and then it's rebounded some. A, a bear market is typically defined as when you go down 20 percent. So we still have a ways to go to get to the bear market phase. As you know from when we were speaking in the past recently, uh, we were in the correction camp. We weren't necessarily in the bear market camp, but it's certainly a possibility that I wouldn't discount either. Uh, Even with the bounce in the market over the last couple of days, you you should expect the market to be choppy, and it may retest those lows. That's kind of normal behavior for when you have such a sharp drop-off that you have uh, panic selling, and then the market gets oversold, as it did earlier this week. It then bounces some. But then people step back and look around and say, now, now what was this all about? And, oh, yes, there are some concerns. Maybe we ought to take a little more risk off the table. So there can be maybe not so much of a panic selling, but maybe more of a bouncing around and, uh, and, and ending up in a, you know, testing those lows. Uh, and if, they test, if we test those lows again, they were down 11, Mark was down 11 or 12% from its highs. That's nothing. That's just normal stuff. Uh, people should not be panicked about that. So the um, the, alg- the algorithms and the uh, computers that trade on Wall Street get panicked, but uh, the average person shouldn't. <laughs> That's a great. That point. is a great point. That's a great point. They do get panicked. All that machinery working. Through. You know, but Rusty, let me ask you this: Are are we? You know, we've talked before, and I mean, you know, Keith and I were talking earlier. Um, we started a thousand points down last Monday. You saw a little bit of that of being panicked, but now are are you still concerned about the market? Are you still concerned that? That we're, I mean, it, it, you're, you're, I guess what I was listening for, I didn't, I heard some optimism, not pessimism, but pessimism seems to be a lurking around. It, uh, where, where are you? Are you concerned? I mean, Keith, when you think that's a question I'd like to hear from, I mean, are, is he concerned? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, as we've talked about, corrections are normal, and we've been yeah, in the third longest right. stretch over 1,400 days right. since we had the last correction in 2011. But yeah, are the fundamentals there yeah, to that's justify what I'm looking that? For. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, the fundamentals are still still not uh, all that impressive. So yes, I'm still concerned, and for my clients, I still have them fully hedged. So that means that uh, you know we were able to sidestep this market decline because we were fully hedged, and we're still in that spot. It was very tempting to go in and, and take those hedges off and maybe buy some stocks uh, in the middle of, of, of this week. But at the same time, uh, you know there are still some concerns out there. The main one, of course, still remaining China. China is the second largest economy in the world. It's obviously going through some struggles. Uh, it's not very clear as to exactly what the extent of those struggles are because of the, the lies that China tells about its, its economy <laughs> and what the truth really is. But we do know there is trouble because there's plenty of indicators uh, pointing, pointing that out. And it's not so much that China has problems. It actually, China's problems can benefit the United States. Uh, it, it impacts other countries negatively, like Brazil and Russia and and uh, the Middle East, because it drives oil prices lower and other commodity prices lower, but it can actually help the U.S. So to a certain extent, it's a, uh, China's struggles are, are a benefit to the U.S. because it means lower prices. But that's just the direct impact. The indirect impact is through the markets. And, for instance, China has $1.3 trillion or so of U.S. Treasury bonds, and they're trying to support their currency. And it's been uh, said that they have started to sell those Treasury bonds, and to a certain extent, that's a reverse QE, right? That's quantitative tightening instead of quantitative easing. That's controlled by a foreign entity, and we don't know to what extent that may amount to in the long run. But uh, there's rumors that they've sold 100 
billion dollars worth of U.S. Treasuries here recently. And so there are still concerns about how the Chinese um, debacle, as it, as it may be a debacle, it may not yet be a debacle. We really just don't know, but it's certainly leading towards a debacle. It, it's, it's unclear how it will impact the U.S. economy, not the U.S. economy, the U.S. markets, financial markets. And so I think it's wise to kind of keep your powder relatively dry, even though there's some tempting bargains out there right now. I think that's an interesting point. You know, I'd heard someone say when they were talking about the numbers coming out of China and the GDP numbers, as Rusty said, you know, you don't know how much credence you can give to them. But they said the numbers coming out of China are a lot like cough syrup. They go down smooth, but it's really hard to swallow. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. That's a great point. Well, talking about GDP numbers, the GDP second quarter numbers for the U.S. were were, up higher than expected. Even Europe was up higher than expected. So does that say that we're climbing out of this uh, well, the, the Europe's climbing out of their recession and that our economy is heating it up high enough, uh, hard enough, you might say, for Yellen to, to do her thing in September and raise rates. Yeah, and it's going to be very hard for them to justify not raising rates right. given the economy's, the U.S. economy's performance. The only reason that they could you know, legitimately give for not raising rates at this stage of the game would be that they're concerned about China and the, and the, you know, the global impact. Uh, of a rate rise in the United States and how it may send the whole world into a recession. So what the market's really worried about is, is China going to kick off and, and start a global recession? And so here we are looking at improving U.S. growth, improving uh, European growth, and you're starting to think, ah, this is getting pretty good. But at the same time, the observant you know, analysts are saying, my goodness, China's falling apart. It's the second largest economy. Could that trigger a, a global recession? And obviously, it has triggered a global recession in commodities, uh, where commodity prices are just getting crushed because the, the great consumer of commodities has stopped, all of a sudden stopped consuming them quite as much. That's China. And so, is, is that going to spread into the European economy and the U.S. economy? I don't think it's going to impact the U.S. economy too much. Like I said, it can impact our markets, but I don't know if it will impact our economy too much. But it could impact the European economy because Germany, in particular, exports quite a bit to China. And I'm sure those exports are going to be hit in the the upcoming months. Well, Rusty, I heard one of the analysts, and they were talking about China particularly, and they were, you know, making the point that a couple of the areas of the Chinese economy have been in recession. The housing market's been in recession, but it looks like it may be bottoming. Manufacturing has been in a recession. Some of the local governments have been in recession. But they're also seeing this on the other side. They're seeing higher wages, which is uh, supporting more consumption, and that very little of the Chinese people's net worth is tied up in the stock market. And then they talk some about, you know, the improvements in the infrastructure infrastructure investment. I mean, China right now is building the world's largest bridge and the world's longest underwater tunnel. So they were making the point that the kind of the growing parts of the economy might offset some of the parts of the economy that are in recession. And they were actually saying that, you know, seven to eight percent growth or six to seven percent growth, excuse me, over the next 24 months could be, you know, about where China is. So looking a little bit better than maybe we've, we've been led to believe looking at the press. Well, I'm not looking so much at the press when I, when I get worried about China. I'm looking at the commodities prices, which are telling you and housing prices in China and stuff like that, which are all telling you uh, cement prices, things of that nature. Everything's pointing to a slowdown for sure. Now, it may not go into uh, an actual decline, and the government over there is going to be doing everything it possibly can, but everything it possibly can can roil the rest of the world's financial markets, such as in, in terms of supporting their currency and needing money to do it, they start selling their overseas assets like U.S. Treasuries. And right. Like that. So there are ways in which China can... Uh, you know, adjust its economic uh, policy, but in doing so, they may actually be roiling the markets overseas, and uh, so they may avoid. 
and they avoid a recession. In fact, there's probably a good chance they will in the short run. They certainly will report numbers that suggest that they avoid a recession. <laughs> Whether we can believe them or not is another thing. But I think it's really smart to focus on those things which they can't mess with. They can't, uh, they can't abuse the, the price of iron ore. They can't abuse the price of copper. You know, these things are traded globally, and the, the uh, Chinese government has very limited ability to influence those prices. It really is a better reflection of where their economy is. You know, Rusty, I think a lot of people, I, I think when you when you talk about China, you talk about, you know, our own, uh, the way that our economy seems to be growing. There there seems to be, though, and you kind of mentioned it, and I guess I really do want to drill down to this because the anticipation, there's a lot of people worried that maybe the Fed will raise the rates and this will set us into a tailspin overall. And yet, if you really get into that, a lot of people say that a, 25 basis point, you know, rising of the rate would not is already figured in. Do you feel that way that we've already kind of calculated that thought process into the into the market, or would that really be uh, kind of a uh, you know a, a, a kind of a blink? I guess you might say. Would that create a problem? Yeah, in the in the real economy, I don't think it's going to create a real problem. In the financial markets, it may create at least a temporary problem. Uh, it's a change, a big, big change in policy. And if it's viewed, even though it's probably discounted in to some degree at this stage, we've been talking about it for so long, it has to be, right? Uh, but it, if it's viewed as a mistake, as a policy error, and so we're, the environment that we're in right now is the second largest economy looking like it's on the rocks, may tip into a recession. If the Fed's rising, raising of a rate impacts not just China, but Brazil right. and India and Russia and all the emerging markets who, whose um, loans are often tied to the value of the U.S. dollar. And as a result of raising rates here, the dollar rises. It causes trouble in these foreign countries, particularly the emerging markets countries. And the emerging markets are well into a, into a bear market right now because of some of these issues. So we're well over off 20% in the emerging markets index right now because of concerns about those. Uh, and if that, if that then... If that recession that's going on in those countries, in the emerging markets, then starts to have a, a feedback loop into the uh, developed markets, that's what investors are concerned about. So they're worried about the Fed raising rates at the wrong time, triggering greater recessions offshore that then feed back into our own economy and cause a global recession. That's really what the, the worry is. So it really isn't something that will have any direct impact on our U.S. economy. Nobody will even notice it but it could have greater repercussions throughout the world. Hmm. Well, Rusty, I know that, you know, the Fed's been talking about this, but they've, you know, making, they keep making the point that it's going to be data dependent, but they've kind of almost backed themselves in a corner. Do they have to raise rates just to keep their credibility? And is that important for the Fed to have credibility? It's very important for the Fed to have credibility, but at the same time, the data dependency can also include, they can decide to extend that data dependency to the impact, uh, their actions would have on foreign markets, which would then feed back into the U.S. So should they choose to delay in September raising rates, and they may, uh, that would probably, they would hang that decision on the desire not to roil overseas economies and to have that eventually feed back into the U.S. But that's, gonna, that's a high bar. I, you know, that's, that's not going to be easy for them to make that, that case. And so there's a, a rising risk that they do make what the markets at least will interpret as a policy error by raising rates and causing some problems overseas, which may reverberate back into the U.S. So I think I think there's you know a reasonable chance that you know the Fed are not these are not dumb people. They understand right. these things, but they also understand that their credibility is very very important, as you pointed out. 
and therefore they may go ahead and raise rates and, and take the risk that it doesn't really cause as big a problem as some people are expecting. It it's, may not. It's so interesting, Jim. I mean, when you see all the speculation around what the Fed's going to do, oh, and yeah. now recently even articles have come out, quantitative easing four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and what else can they really yeah. do? You know, I guess that's the issue that we have. And if you just tuned in, we're, we're talking with Rusty Leonard. We're getting this idea, is the correction, is it over? If we had a, you know, a legitimate correction, uh, and yet, you know, there's some sentiment, there's, there's, there's this optimism, there's pessimism, you know, will the bull market persist? Is this the beginning of a real global meltdown? I mean, all kind of things. And, of course, Rusty gives us a great insight to it. Rusty, I guess I, I've got a question. I know that we saw a tremendous amount of volatility Monday, down 1,000, up 900, down 500. I mean, it was just moving. Is that is that as a result of the... I guess the leveraged investors, the high frequency traders, the 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 the, you know, the the machines. You know what I'm saying? The computers. Is that what's causing all of that, or is that really um, trouble in the economy and, and the legitimate uh, market makers doing what they're doing? I would say it's uh, far more weight should be placed on the computers of the blame for all that moving around should be placed on investors, and particularly. Uh, you have two groups of investors that were influencing that. You have the panicked investors who worried all weekend after the sell-off on Thursday and Friday, and they just are emotional and they can't help themselves. And they go and they say, "Sell everything," <laughs> and that's usually a mistake in the long run. But it's uh, it's just a human nature type of thing. It's emotion. Then I think that yeah, it's emotions. But I think the um, the machines can be emotional too, and they're they're uh, playing off that, and they're actually making money. So the high frequency traders currently had one of the best days ever on Monday, and you know by by promoting all that back and forth trading, uh, they can benefit from that. They they benefit by you know making a little bit of money off the bid and ask spreads. Bid and ask spreads widen. They can they can do a lot of things in that kind of environment that make them money. And so yes, they are uh, in many ways to blame for the extent of the of the sell off hmm. and and the rebounds as well because they, that's how they make their money and they're the biggest force on the margin in the market right now. You know when they when they decide to all move in one direction, that's that's the way the market's going to go. And so they, you saw this yesterday in the market. The market was, uh, you know, about to hit break even late in the day, and then the last hour it added two percent, uh, and on no news. All of a sudden, it just turned around and went up two percent. There wasn't any particular news that caused that, but it was probably the high frequency traders, you know, pushing the market in that direction for whatever reason. You know, it would be very difficult for us to figure out what it would be, but that's what happens. That's what happens. Keith, when we come back, what I want to do with Rusty, I want to find out. I mean, Rusty, you've just given us some, some great insight, but, but here's a question I have. Is if we can, if, you know, with all this movement, you know, the wild price movement changes, and then all we've seen is uh, the question is, can the average investor take advantage of this? Sure, I hear the machines, I hear the high-frequency traders, those that, you know, the back and forth spreads and all that. And, I mean, we, we understand that, but the reality is, what about the guy on the street, our listener? Right. How can they take advantage of this? What should they do, be doing? And, again, what Rusty said is keep the emotions out. So if you just tuned in, Rusty Leonard's our guest. Uh, he will be with us when we come back after this break. Keith Quinn is with me as my co-host. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. We'll be right back after this. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money will return right after this. 
Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn. You know, Keith, I was reading recently, and I think this is critical, in the Morningstar Direct and the Bloomberg Standard, we're talking about the right. S&P 500, up through August the 21st, okay? I okay. think it was the August the 21st date. Yeah. It said they to put the downturn in perspective, okay? Right. We're down at about 14%. I believe it was down that much. Now it's rebounded back up, down around 7%. If you look at it, though, uh, since 2009, right. you know, the stock markets, the, the S&P has tripled. Oh, yeah. And so keep over that 200%, in, over right? 200%. So keep that in mind. And now we've had this correction of, let's say it did the 10%, and now it's down, you know, down on about 7 So that's kind of how you want to put it in perspective. Well, and remember, plus, peak to trough in 2008 to 2009, 57% exactly, we were down. Exactly. So 10 is not so, a big deal. So you have to kind of put that somewhat in perspective. Our guest is Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO and chief investment officer for, uh, you know, I guess I can call him chief investment officer. Well, I think you the, should. You know, from that standpoint. For <laughs> you stewardship, can call me whatever you like. <laughs> I can call him whatever I want to. Uh, the stewardship partner is a frequent guest of hours and a great friend, and uh, he gives us a great perspective of what's going on. So I, I guess, Rusty, before we took the break, we asked the question, if you have this wild movement and down 7, 10, 15, down 1,000, and it's up this, and all, how does the average investor, you know, how do they grasp this? How do they keep their emotions, and what kind of it can the average investor do to take advantage of this? I mean, it's, I guess that's a – if I was driving down the road, I'd want to know that answer. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, the point that you guys were making there earlier was was a good one, that uh, over the long run, the market really does, you know, it has its ups and downs, and it can have some pretty serious downs. But more, you know, if you look at the course of history over the decades, over the centuries, uh, that stock markets have been in existence, they tend to move higher. So whenever you see a sale in stocks, you, you know, you should probably be thinking about buying more than selling it and keeping a long-term perspective. Don't get yourself wrapped up in the the daily headlines and the screaming, you know, uh, heads on television about, you know, buy, sell, buy, sell. Just keep your head screwed on straight. Say, listen, stocks are on sale. Everybody, and when stocks are on sale, everybody runs out of the store, which is kind of a weird thing. You want to run into the store when stocks are on sale. So if you have a long-term perspective, you can buy now. And uh, chances are, if you come back in five years, stock prices have a reasonable chance of having done better than most other things you could have invested in. Invested in. Great and so that's, that's something to keep in mind. Now, at the same time, you don't want to have terrible regret. And uh, if there, if this is a market where, uh, you know, we've had a sharp downturn in a very short period of time, we had the expected bounce on that, or two days of bounces so far. But it's if you look at history, when you've had sharp downturns like that, it often takes the, the market, you know, several weeks, maybe a couple months 
to kind of work out that bottom, and uh, it'll sometimes test that bottom. It doesn't happen every time. It may be that we've already seen the bottom. The stocks in the U.S. will go higher from here, but there's some risk that they will retest that bottom, maybe even go lower. Uh, and because we're still unresolved about the Fed policy and about where China is and where it might be going, you know, there's enough uncertainty out there that will keep the short-term traders uh, freaked out a little bit. So it may be that it'll retest those lows. So you may just want to bide your time a little bit. It doesn't seem to me that um, the market's going to run away to the upside here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it may, and the computers may take over, and it may, may go charging higher, and it may be foolish that it does so, but it seems unlikely that it would, would – would do that without kind of you know bouncing around some here around the bottom. So you I know, think you have but, a little bit of time. But Rusty, what you're talking about is the you know, I I got a sense this time, Keith, that the average investor, as we're talking about, was expecting a correction, and then it hit and it happened, and tons of dollars that you know you had the you had the emotion obviously right that a lot of people you know jumped and got caught up as Rusty was saying earlier. But it seemed to me, and Rusty, I guess I'm asking this, it seemed to me that there was this mindset that, well, everybody was expecting this, so, okay, it's happened now, everything's great. And, and there was not as much, not as much, I guess, I want to, I hate the word fear, but there was not much that emotion seemed not, the clientele, our clients at least, didn't seem to be so caught up in it. Uh, maybe Maybe they were comparing it to 2008. Which has been, you know, a long time ago, or they they were had it in their mind. They were expect. I didn't see. Uh, I didn't see the investor getting wrapped up in it. Did, I mean, that's exactly what what I think we saw at the firm. And I don't know if it's because you know you and and hopefully I and and our advisors have done such a good job of educating them on the fact that you know corrections are normal. But unlike two thousand and eight, when we did see people who wanted to panic, who wanted to get out of the market, who wanted to go to cash, we kind of saw the opposite this time. People wanted to take advantage of the fact that the market was down, and if they could, you know, perhaps shift their allocation a bit and put some more money to work in equities. Rusty, did you, is that something you sense too? Is that, did you feel that too? Yeah, we, we had very few clients uh, calling in and panicking. We only had one client who wanted to go to cash. Uh, and so, we're, you know, it's, it's very true that most people have not panicked. It may be that, you know, people have learned. They've learned that even though the market went down 50-some percent in 2008, it grew 200% in the subsequent uh, six years. And so maybe they've, you know, kind of are listening to people like yourself, Jim and Keith, and saying, you know what, I've learned from this. I'm just going to ride it out. I know my buddy down the street who sold out and never reinvested. He got burned. Uh, I'm not doing that. You know, the markets do tend to go up over time. So maybe people are starting to learn, and it's only the stupid computers that are emotional anymore. <laughs> stupid computers. Stupid computers. Hey, when you come back, we're going to be continuing our discussion with Rusty Leonard. We're talking with a guy that has a great insight. The market's been fluctuating. It's opened up a little down today, but it's just been the typical, normal volatility that happens in the market. When we come back, we're going to talk about September and October and a little bit of historical data there, and then uh, kind of what we're going to plan for the long term. And She's going to give us some insight to that. we got uh, Rebecca Brazier coming up, and she's going to read and talk about the Mid-South History Moment. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. Ida Wells was notorious in her time. She was a slave when she was born in 1862 in Holly Springs, Mississippi. But when the Civil War ended, she was able to begin attending school as a former slave through the Freedmen's Bureau. 
When she lost both parents to the yellow fever epidemic at the age of 16, she took a job as a teacher and moved to Memphis. After two incidents and when she was thrown off trains for sitting in the all-white sections, a circuit court judge ruled in her favor and awarded her $500, but his decision was later overruled by the Tennessee Supreme Court. Wells also worked as a journalist during this time, and after receiving death threats in response to her reporting of local lynchings, she moved north, first to New York and later to Chicago, and continued to write and speak publicly about the ongoing racial violence in the South. Although not as well known as Dr. Martin Luther King, Wells is revered today as an important leader in the civil rights movement. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Keith Quinn. Our guest is Rusty Leonard. We are talking about the economy. We've talked about correction, uh, and uh, it, may, it may not be over. And, and stupid computers. And the stupid computers. I like that. You know, maybe we ought to run for president if we could call them stupid computers, you know. Uh, we got one of our candidates right now that seemed like his primary word is stupid. But that's great. Uh, you know, this has, been a, this has been a challenge. But, it, you know, Rusty, what I hear from you, though, and I mean, there seems to be pessimism out there. And, you know, I want people to understand that I guess that we don't feel that this is over. I mean, I, it, 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 it's almost like, wow, if it is, it happened so quick. It, you know, it was a, you know, I blinked and I missed it. But one, I think it's, it's still got some, some movement. To one, it. Of, one of your frequent guests, Bob Dahl, had said the other day, and they asked him if we, we'd hit the bottom, and he said there was a 50% chance. I'm like, well, you really went out on a limb there. That's a coin flip. <laughs> yeah, that's a little <laughs> politics there. That's a great point. So I guess, I guess, Rusty, you know, historically, August has been, of course, uh, the worst of the 12. But September and October has got a lot of history. I mean, you know, we've seen it um, – We've seen some issues in September and October, Keith. You know that. We, oh, yeah. Uh, October, you know, if you go back in history, you got Black Monday. You got, I mean, all the time, you know, we, October, kind of, we, if we can get through October with nothing great happening, we kind of say, okay, great. November, December will be great. But, Rusty, what's your take on that? Do you think this pattern uh, is still possibly, uh, you know, there for 2015? Yeah, I think so. I would, I certainly wouldn't ignore it. Uh, there's some, you know, these seasonal te- tendencies are there. History proves it. Uh, September is actually, everybody thinks October is the worst month uh, on average for the stock market. And it's really September. September is actually the historically going way back to the 1920s and looking at the average performance of every month. September is the worst month. And August is the second worst month, typically. Uh, So uh, October, though, is the month where we seem to have the biggest sell-offs, right? October of 29, October 2008, October of um, 87, uh, you know, just a lot of Octobers are, are problematic for, <clears throat> for whatever reason. But even with those big sell-offs, October isn't the worst month. It, it also has a lot of uh, rebound. And so even after you get those big sell-offs, you have a big rebound oftentimes. And so on average, uh, you know, October's not even close to being the worst month. And the fourth quarter generally, the whole fourth quarter, is the best quarter of the year. So November and particularly December are very strong months, December typically being the strongest month of the year. So we may play this. Things may play out. There's enough uncertainty right now. There's a few things that still have to be resolved. The market's got to struggle with things. 
and they play out that uh, we still have a kind of a nasty September, at least a September that doesn't go you know through the won't see the mark going through the moon necessarily in September. The seasonal impact may you know play a role here. We don't know that for sure, of course, but it's something you should certainly keep in the back of your mind. That September has typically been the worst month of the year for stocks. You know, I guess here's the thought. Pessimism. I mean, that's a word that I just don't like, but it's a real word. And I sense a a movement, maybe a little upswing of pessimism in the equity markets. There seems to be a little bit of a uh, a souring effect on equities. You've seen movement of treasuries. You've seen a movement into gold. Gold took a huge huge move. Is uh, Is that kind of the... Mindset that the you know we got it we're going to see probably for the next sixty to ninety days or longer or do you think this is just the typical emotions that we talk about that a lot of people get caught up in or is this this a defensive move for a lot of people? Well, for a while there, people were you know we've heard talk about peak oil and for for a while right. there's talk some talk about there being peak pessimism <laughs> and uh, there's so much pessimism around that uh, you couldn't get any more pessimism. And uh, so one of the good things that that happens is when you have a correction is that some of that pessimism kind of gets fulfilled and gets taken away from, from the marketplace to some degree. Uh, whether we're through with that process or not, I'm not 100% sure. And I would probably, as I said, I'm positioned like that my clients position still cautiously because I don't want to uh, take that chance. I don't see a lot of risk of, of optimism all of a sudden taking charge and, and running through the roof and the you know, market taking off to the upside. That's a good In fact, one of the problems one of the problems we face right now is that the US economy is looking better and uh, growing stronger and that's uh, in many ways for the financial markets a negative because it takes away the the uh, Fed put which you know where, where the Fed was kind of buying uh, treasuries and supporting the market uh, takes that away, and so all of a sudden uh, the market feels less sure of itself, and it, all of a sudden there is some downside because no longer does the Fed have to prevent downside uh, because the economy is going to take over from here, and it's not their they don't feel view it as their job at this stage of the game. So to a certain extent, uh, there's uh, room for a little more pessimism in the optimism, which is kind of a bizarre way of thinking about it. But that's uh, one of the, the ways the, the freakiness of the market right now with all this government intervention. Uh, you have to unwind that government intervention as as it gets unwound. There is some some risk that uh, enters the marketplace that wasn't there before because the Fed's no longer backing up. And, and Rusty, at some point, if we get you know if we get too pessimistic about the market, isn't that turn around and, and again kind of counterintuitive? But be a good thing. You know, we always talk about climbing that wall of it worry. Would. It would, yeah. We need a we need a wall of worry to to be uh, plugged in there. But I, you know, again, that wall may be still be be building. We may need to build that wall a little bit more. Uh, we're only, as you guys pointed out, we're only down. You know, what, what, 8% or 9% from the from the highs? Right. Uh, that's just normal stuff. That's nothing bizarre or, or freaky. Uh, when you really get a bottom is when people, everybody is completely pessimistic, when our right. clients are freaking out and calling us. And we haven't seen that yet. I, I noticed uh, uh, Art Cashin, who's, a, who's on CNBC, he's an old-time player, right. on Monday, he said, even on Monday, you know, with the big swings and the big decline we had, you know, there, he said uh, he didn't feel like that was the bottom. He didn't didn't have the capitulation feel to him. Right. And uh, usually, usually we're all a little bit freaked out by the time we hit a capitulation bottom. It may be that we don't even we don't hit one this time around. We may completely. This may just be kind of like I said, a normal correction, which is all I was really looking for previously. But uh, it could yet turn into something more. So we just need to keep our eyes open, given the seasonal weaknesses of September. 
and uh, the fact that some of the biggest blowups in history have occurred in October. You know, there's no there's no reason to get too ultra bullish right now until we kind of cruise through that period of time and resolve some of these issues with China and with Fed policy. I think that's key. I think that's what our listeners need to be listening to is the fact that um, there's a certain amount of optimism. It needs to be cautiously well, optimistic. Some of the consumer confidence numbers were, were really high. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. So. That, I mean, that kind of gives me a little bit of that. You know, you talk about being counterintuitive, and, right. you know, contrarians. So, I mean, if you see the consumer getting, I mean, the other day I was getting gas at one of our local service stations and the gas guy that was there at the attendant was out asking me about the stock market and how should he get out or should he stay in? Well, and, that was after Monday though, yeah, right? Yeah, it was after Monday. <laughs> and I mean, it was kind of, was kind of reminiscent of some things I've read about in history, right. but uh, it was a great day though. It was good to talk with him. Uh, it, you know, let's just do this. We're going to come back. We've got to do traffic and weather and get, of course, a market update. But uh, Rusty, when we come back, I really do want to dive in. I guess the last question that is on my mind Longer term, I mean, I want to get the 90 days, and I think we've heard that, but longer term, are we going to be hopeful and confident, or should this be the beginning of a long problem? So stay with us when we get back. I've got Rusty Leonard with us today, along with Keith Quinn. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated. Talk money. We'll return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Keith Quinn. And our special guest today is Rusty Leonard, CFA founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated and a frequent guest of ours. And Rusty, it's always a pleasure to have you on the air, sir. My last question to you today is about the long term. I mean, the longer term. We've been talking about the the rest of this year, and I think we're being cautious. And, and Keith, I think he's done a good job of telling us, you know, this is not a great time of the market. I mean, somewhat a little bit of be cautious because uh, September and October are not always right. great months. So very much laid that out for us. But should we be hopeful and confident about the future long-term trend? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, you have to be. I mean, if you're, unless you're in ignorance, right? If you look at all the statistics and you think about all the trouble that has occurred over the course of time, and yet the market has always marched higher in the long run. So you talk about world wars, cold wars, all kinds of calamities of one sort or another over time, and what has happened every single time the stock market has marched higher. So you do want to be in the stock market, and if you, for some reason, got out, uh, you may want to bide your time in terms of timing you're getting back in, but you know what? Don't not get back in. You definitely want to get back in. And when things are on sale, like they are right now, it's always a better time to be thinking about getting in than about getting out. So to the extent that um, you know people are worried, 
about what may occur in the short run, and there's plenty of things that could happen in the short run. We haven't, you know, not the anniversary of 9/11 is right around the corner, so there could right. you know, be some surprising terrorist attack or something like that that would affect the markets. But even with 9/11, the market roared back. So you have to, uh, you just have to stay invested. Uh, Sir John Templeton, the guy who I learned from, uh, who was one of the greatest investors of all time, uh, was when it was asked, you know, what's the best time to uh, be in the market? And he, he says, when you have the money. That's right. When you have extra money, that's when you should be in the market. When yeah. you have money that you can afford to invest with, that's when you be in the market. Because even if you make a mistake getting in too early and the market goes down initially, you'll eventually get bailed out. History proves that time and time again. You know, great wisdom. Great, Great wisdom. wisdom. And, uh, you know, and you're right, Sir John Templeton, uh, you know, I had a chance to spend some time with him. And Rusty, I know you, you did train under him and learned tremendous from him. You know, the reality is, is exactly what he's saying is, uh, you know, is the market does climb higher. And I guess it's because we're investing in great companies. Uh, you know, the bad companies don't last. But what we're investing in and we pray and hope is great companies of America, great companies of the world. And, and, and the world and themes. And, you know, we like to have investment themes that aren't, you know, impacted by Janet Yellen raising rates. Rates or, or right. China slowing down. And when you look at, you know, some of the demographics, you know, we're projected to have 65 million people a year moving from the country into the cities and these emerging market uh, uh, economies over the next 15 years. And the build out in infrastructure alone in the next 10 years is projected to be about $57 trillion. Wow. That's not impacted by anything that goes on in the short and term. And yet, as we talk about the short term, may be volatile. May be volatile. Term, will be volatile. Yeah, would be volatile. Long term, it still looks good. Rusty, thank you so much, sure. sir. I appreciate you taking out a very busy Friday morning to spend it with us. We appreciate it always. Have a great weekend, sir. And you too. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All Thanks, right, Rusty. You know, Keith, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we have to look at the being, you know, the thought process as we try to tell our clients, our investors, and our listeners. Don't follow the herd. Don't get right. caught up in the emotions and stay kind of, you know, focused on your long range plan. Well, there was a thing that, you know, we think about is, is we want to make an active decision, but a lot, when you look at your portfolio, but a lot of time the active decision is to stay the course. If your plan hasn't changed, if your time horizon hasn't changed, if your goals haven't changed, you don't change your allocation. And if you've got a long enough time horizon, you don't worry about short-term volatility. No, you, you can't worry about short-term volatility. And again, long-term horizon. If you don't have a long-term horizon, that's different. then it's a different ballgame. Right. And that's when you seek counsel to make sure you exactly adjust right. your portfolio. Right. And, of course, we always say there's three basic fundamentals of everybody investing. Number one. Now, asset allocation. You know, how much are you going to put in stocks? What are you going to put in bonds? How much do you need in cash? And, and that's just, you know, it, there's no way around that. That's right. That's the and, fundamental and building risk block. there, knowing the amount of That's risk That's what's very important, yeah. right. Number two. Diversification. You know, how do you diversify each of those asset classes? What do you invest in on the equity side? Do you want to own some smaller companies? Do you want to own some big companies? Do you want to own some companies internationally? Uh, and you do. You want to diversify sure. your portfolio. Even though it's made part of that may be out of sec, you know, out of sync right will now. will be out of sync at certain be. different it times. It be. will be. Yeah. You'll never be top of the market. You'll never be never at the very be at the top bottom exactly if you right. diversify. Exactly right. And then number three. You rebalance. Periodically, you want to sell the winners, buy the losers. Uh, you take your profits off the table. You put it into the sectors that haven't done as well because typically they will do better. Smooths out your returns. We're looking for that long-term, consistent, persistent returns. You know, it's been good to have you on the show I've enjoyed today. it. Boy, you did a great job today. <laughs> Rusty did a great Shoot, job today. It's yeah, so Rusty good to have you with us. And uh, we've got a great program for you next week. But I want to, again, thank producer and board operator, Mr. Art Frederick. Guest and content con- coordination by Frances Fortner. She always does a great job. 
job production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich, and Mid-South History Moment by Rebecca Brazier and written by Drew Johnson. And Keith, thank you, sir, for being with us today. I really do appreciate you being here, man. I've enjoyed it, and beware of those stupid computers. <laughs> I love the stupid computers. <laughs> I'm Jim Shoemaker, and we're here every Friday. We're here for one purpose, and that's to help you make the most of your money. Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This is the voice of Memphis, AM 990, KWAM Memphis. Online at KWAM990.com.